Amen. We're going to be in First Peter again, chapter five. We've been finishing up First Peter tonight here, chapter five. We'll be in verse ten. The Bible tells us, "But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you per perfect, establish, strengthen." Settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluting you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of charity. Peace be unto you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I was thinking about this and just mulling over it before I really started diving in and studying and really getting it. I thought, boy, you know, it's the God of all grace. And he has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. You know, I just thought about this. This thought just came to me. says, you know, sometimes as we go through life, boy, it's like the blinders are on and you just can't see what's coming next. And you just don't know what the future is going to hold. And you're not sure where the Lord's working and leading you to, but you can trust the God of all grace. We can trust the one who hath called us. See, number one here, there is a call from God. The call from the God of all grace. When we're saved, he didn't just say, you're saved, you, are, you are, have a place secure in heaven, but you're on your own. He gave us a call. He has called us to eternal glory. We see that this call came from the God of all grace. It wasn't just a call from anybody. It wasn't a call from from someone who, who had seemed important. It was from the God of all grace, from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the world was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the God. He is the God of all grace. He tells us later on that his grace is sufficient for us. When speaking to Paul about the thorn and the flesh, he said, And my grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I would rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Keep that in mind, because later on we're going to talk about after that we have suffered a while. Well, even in the suffering, his strength is made perfect. His grace is sufficient. This is the God of all grace. He says, He giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. God gives us grace. He is the God of all grace. You know, after study this, I said, boy, you know, we use that term a lot, but, you know, it, we have an idea of what it means, but sometimes it's kind of vague. It's like, you know, it's just kind of this idea of, you know, goodwill, uh, comfort. Uh, so I said, you know, I'm going to find what I'm going to do. I'm going to consult my dictionary because two best tools for studying the Bible are going to be the dictionary and the Bible. So let's go see what the dictionary was. We looked up in 
the dictionary. I was kind of a little bit disappointed because under Grace it had 20 definitions. Uh, 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 well, that would help. <laughs> I'm not going to read you all 20. I'm not going to read you all 20 definitions. So, oh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's go back here. And since the dictionary is not going to help us much, except now we're down to 20. Uh, but we're going to look at the Word of God. And so that's why I'm reading these to you to talk about the God of grace. And he gives us more grace. He gives us more the more strength when we need it. It's His goodwill, His His goodness to us, His strength. He says uh, later on, he's, he's going to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, you know, the word grace has a lot of definitions. But here we see this is the God of all grace. Any definition, all those 20 definitions of grace, here is summed up as the God of all grace. God gives us what is sufficient for us. When he calls us, says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. The call came from God, and it's a call unto eternal glory. Eternal glory by Christ Jesus. The call wasn't just to be different, to stand out, to although we should, but the call is to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. We see that one day he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign. The Bible tells us here in Second Timothy chapter 2, it says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The salvation that comes through Jesus Christ it wasn't just you're saved from sin, but there's an eternal glory, a glory that's not going to fade away, a glory that's not going to pass away. We certainly, in this world, we can see all kinds of glory that passes away, that was there one day, and then it's gone. A fine example would, of this would be the glory that came to the Broncos when they won the Super Bowl. However long ago that was now, I don't remember, but I do remember that glory is no longer there. I do know that glory is gone. The glory there is gone. But the glory that God gives is everlasting. It's eternal glory. It's not going to be fading away. When this life is over and we're going to be up in heaven, that glory is still going to be there. This glory that comes to the saved through Christ Jesus. He tells us, the Bible tells us in another place, in the Colossians, 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. On Sunday, we have our Lord's table service. It says, Do this in remembrance of me. Well, he's coming again. It says, He's not going to drink of the, the wine, the, the new, the unfermented fruit of the cup, till he drinks it anew in his kingdom. Christ is coming again. He's coming, and he's coming with his glory. And those who are saved will partake and will share in that glory. Also, tells us in another place, in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible tells us in, in verse 20, it says, Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the, his power that worked in us, I do him be glory in the church 
by God, Jesus Christ throughout all ages, worlds without end. Amen. He's going to have glory in the church. And those who know Christ will have his glory there. And we will be partaking in that glory, there, that eternal glory, which is by Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one way to attain that eternal glory, and that is through Jesus Christ. That is through the shed blood of his. It says, going on here, is the eternal glory by Christ Jesus. That's through salvation. After that, ye have suffered a while. The Bible tells us that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's only understandable. When we read, as I recall the past messages here going through First Peter, how many times did he talk about suffering for the word of God's sake? Even on Sunday morning, as Jesus was, was giving his beatitudes, he says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and curse you and say all manner of evil things against you falsely for my name's sake. Falsely for my name's sake, he goes on to say, Even so did they the prophets. Since you have he says, great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets. They persecuted the prophets, those who went forth, and those who to, uh, taught the true word of Jesus Christ. What example we have uh, on Sunday night, we were talking about Elijah. They were on Carmel. Boy, one of the highlights of him, but let's not forget, immediately after that, Jezebel was seeking to take his life. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be persecution. Just as they've persecuted the prophets, so they persecuted Jesus. So they're going to persecute those who would follow Jesus. Those who would seek to be like him in truth and in spirit. Those who would seek to do his will. It's only natural that as the master was persecuted, that the servants who do the will of the master would also be persecuted. Just right up at, just up on the page here a bit in First Peter chapter four. He says, Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened for you. But rejoice, and so much you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you shall you may be glad also with exceeding joy. It says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. Hey, we're going to be reproached for preaching the name of Christ. We're going to be reproached for saying that there was only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. We're going to be reproached for saying we're not going down this road because that's against the scriptures. That's against what God's word has said. We're going to be mocked and ridiculed. But there's eternal glory that comes with that. When the God of heaven and earth, the God of who will do right, who will judge righteously, will come and will judge those things and say, no, what you guys are doing is wrong. These are my servants. They're going to be the ones wearing the robes of right. Servants of the Lord will wear robes of white while God judges those who have mocked us, who have ridiculed us, who have persecuted us 
for doing what's right. We're going to have to suffer a while, but in that suffering, we see there's a fourfold purpose. It says, after that, you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We see his purpose isn't just for us to suffer. His purpose is to create a new creation. We see that there was a call from God to eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And there is a creation that comes through suffering when what he desires to make us, he desires, number one, to make us perfect. Every time I hear that word perfect, I immediately go to James 1.4. But let patience have a perfect work, being perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's going to take some patience for that work to be complete. That word perfect doesn't mean we're sinless, because the Bible says there's no man that can be without sin, that can be perfectly sinless. But that word is the idea of being complete. We want to be complete. If we can let patients have her complete work, that they may be complete and entire, wanting nothing. We can be complete. So he wants to complete us and to establish us. Establish us. Well, you know, I don't know what establish means, but you know, establish, build something there. And I translated, you know, once again, I said, well, let's turn and see what the dictionary means. So he said, didn't help me much, it's great, but maybe help me establish. So I opened up establish. This time it was helpful because it had one definition, thank goodness, and that definition is to fix, to settle in a state of permanence, to make firm. I thought, boy, to settle in a state of permanence. I'm so thankful that my salvation is settled in a state of permanence. There's no, well, you know, I have to be good enough today because if that was the case, I would fail every day. It's not dependent my works, on who I am, on what I do, is dependent on the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. There was no man that could pluck us out of the hand of God and of Jesus. Because the very first, next verse says, And I and my Father are one. Those, that one hand that holds us. No man is able to pluck us. No man is able to remove us from the Father's hand. He is greater than all, and no man can pluck us out. Goes on to tell us, while it says, in Philippians, excuse me, the Bible tells us in Colossians, sorry, I'm missing it. I'm looking at my notes, going up and down. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from all evil. He's going to establish, he's going to make it firm. He's going to keep us from the evil that will come if we've trusted Christ. Not Now, maybe not in this life, because... As we said earlier, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus don't suffer persecution. But there's an evil day coming. And that God's going to keep us from that. We're in His hand. He's going to keep us from that eternal separation in Christ, as well, from Christ, excuse me, as well. We're going to be delivered. We're not going to be cast into the lake that burns fire and brimstone. 
were going to be cut by the Spirit because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our state of salvation is, in, is settled in a state of permanence when we've trusted Christ as our Savior. He's also going to strengthen us, as I mentioned in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's his desire to strengthen us. It's his desire that he, that he would have us do what man alone cannot do. When talking about faith in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he said, talking about those who, who through faith, out of, he says, out of weakness, confounded and confronted, out of weakness were made strong they were strengthened not by their own might not by their own power but by the Lord Jesus Christ over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 27 it says but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. It says, He's chosen the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of proclaiming God's word. The world today, they tell us, hey, you've got to have the lights, you've got to have the fog, you've got to have everything that we can give, you've got to put on a good show to get people to come and hear the word, to be in church. Well, I submit that if we're going to be doing all those things, it's hard to call it church. Church is about God. Church is about His Word. That's why here at Broomfield Baptist Church, we said the preaching of the Word is going to have the preeminence. We want the Word to have the pre to have first place. Because we want God to have first place. We want God to be worshipped in His house. We're not coming to His house to worship ourselves. We're coming to worship God. We've chosen the foolishness of preaching, the weak things of the world, to confound the mighty, so that God can use those weak things so we can't say, boy, pastor's such a good preacher. Boy, look at me, I'm such No. It's not about me. It's not about any man who stands behind this desk. It's about the Word of God. God sends forth His Word, and God uses it. It's His Holy Spirit that convicts. It's not anything I say or do. All that belongs to Christ, to God. He chooses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. Chooses the weak vessels and strengthens them. Think of Gideon. He said, well, I'm the, my family is the least and I'm the weakest in my family and yet God calls him a mighty man of valor. Not because he was so wise, not because he had figured out how to defeat the Midianites, because God worked through him. Because God did it. God can strengthen us. That the mighty things of the world will be compounded by the foolish things of God. He desires to make us perfect and to establish us and to strengthen us. And also he says then to settle you. God wants to settle us. And boy, when I came to settle, I thought, boy, you know, Think of something settling, it's gonna settle and it's not gonna be moved, it's not gonna be shaken. Boy, how easy is it to let things around uh, shake us and concern us and move us? And yet, 
we can be settled. We can be confident. We can rest in the Word of God. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. He desires that we not be concerned, that we not worry and fear about all that's going on in the world, because really, all, this world is not our home. He goes on there to say, in John 14, verse 2, it says, For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He's got a place for us. A place where we can, where we will settle. Where we will roam no more. Hebrews, the Bible tells us that those who were living by faith were looking for a city who's without foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They weren't ashamed to confess that they were pilgrims, I think of Jacob when he was uh, I, yeah, Jacob, Jacob, when he stood before Pharaoh and says, you know, the days of my pilgrimage, he confessed that he was a pilgrimage. This wasn't his final resting place. He wasn't looking to have a place here on this earth because he understood that his place on earth is not here. There's a place in heaven, a place that will, will not pass away. The city that's built by God will stand forever and ever. Yet, everything that's here, that's seen, is temporal, pass away. God desires to settle us so we won't be moved, we won't be shaken. We won't have to fear about what happens in this world. We have a place in heaven. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 5 says, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a blessing that it is that here we come and praise Him. Boy, I thought, boy, you know, as we're singing these songs, holy, 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 and His name is wonderful. Here we're praising the Lord God Almighty. The low words that man that, man that we are that we're secure today and gone tomorrow our life is but a vapor the Bible tells us and yet God takes pleasure and rejoices that we would turn to praise and to worship him so much so that in heaven you see the elders and the great company which cannot be numbered the four beasts and the angels all praising and glorifying him boy it's going to be difficult if you don't like to praise your savior here Heaven may be difficult for you because that's just about all you'll be doing. You know, we talk about, oh, you know, I'm going to go and talk to Peter and Paul and hear all about that. But I sit here and think, you know, how long is that really going to last? Five years if you, you know, really want to talk to everyone that you could think of that was mentioned and hear all their stories. Five, ten years. Well, you know, you got a lot more time in eternity than that. And I just think, boy, what a blessing it is to come even on this earth to praise and to sing, sing his praises in the, in the foul voice that I have. And then to think, boy, up in heaven, have a new voice, a new body, and to praise him. The beauty of the holiness and all the perfect pitch and everything that 
one day I'm sure a glorified body will have, not that I have right now, but one day it's coming. We're going to praise Him forever and ever. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, He gives us a call. He makes us new. It's full of hope and purpose so that in heaven we'll be glorifying and praising Him. But we also see here a closing says, why, Silvanus, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace wherein ye stand. That boy, Silvanus, who's Silvanus? Sounds like, you know, maybe I heard it before, and sure enough, when I looked it up, in, in First and Second Thessalonians, chapter, verse 1, one of both of those, says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of Thessalonica. They're all three there. I thought, boy, you know, there are Peter's writing about Silvanus, and could it be a different Silvanus? Yeah, I suppose. But I don't see why it couldn't be. Could very well be the same one. And I thought, boy, you know, here, and I thought, you know, it probably is a different one if Peter, as we see here, says, that is, is the church that is at Babylon elected together with you. I thought, boy, you know, if he's all the way to Babylon, and Peter's over here on the north side of the Mediterranean, up, up there, it's, a, it's quite a distance, especially back then. I thought, boy, you know, that'd be quite a difference. And then I was reading some, some commentaries, and I'm like, well, this is the Babylon of Syria. I said, okay, so it's not Babylon over here, it's Babylon over here. And, okay, that's a lot closer. Either way, it's speculation on who Sylvanius is, the Bible say a lot about him, except that it does say, a faithful brother unto you. How important is it for us to be faithful, for us to stay with the Word of God? The, the joy it is to hear of people you haven't heard about for a long time, and then to hear, hey, they're still being faithful to the Word of God, they're still sticking by the stuff. Boy, it's refreshing. It's a blessing to hear of people who will stay by the Word of God thick and thin. No matter what's going on, they're saying, this is what the Word of God is, and I'm not going to compromise, I'm not going to give in to the world. They're going to stay faithful. Savanius, a faithful brother unto you. As I suppose, I have written briefly, Peter says, Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Kept it brief. But he says, I'm exhorting and testifying. I'm encouraging you and I'm telling you, this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Talking about this epistle. It says, hey, this is this is the word of God. You, I didn't develop this myself. It wasn't something that, that I worked up wasn't something that I made up myself. Here the Bible tells us just a one chapter later in first Peter second Peter, excuse me, chapter one, there at the end it says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star be risen in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any prophet, private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but by hol but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. It came out by the will of man. It was, this wasn't Peter saying, boy, you know, I need to put this in there just to make sure that they know it's it, that it's, it's God, that it's not me. You know, he wasn't trying to be crafty. He says, this, this didn't come of my own will. I didn't make these things up. I didn't conjure and think about this and say, I need to say this and I need to do this. No, he says, it was the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. It says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He's testifying, this is the true grace of God we are in these stand. Does the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluted you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Here, uh, reading another commentary, they say, well, Marcus, you know, this is probably John Mark, the evangelist, and he's there traveling, and once again, if Babylon was only in Assyria, you would see how, how Mark would, no, I can go up here. It's not, you know, all the way over on, you know, in the middle of Asia, far ways away. This was close by. This would make sense, really. And I started to think about this, that, you know, if the church was in Babylon, it would be a long ways for them to travel. And Paul is, uh, Peter is the apostle to the circumcision, to the Jews. I thought, well, you know, if the Jews were, that stayed in Babylon, and there were a lot that stayed in there, only about 50,000, just under 50,000 actually came back. And most of them stayed up there in Babylon. And, and then I got there, and I thought, boy, you know, if he went up there, that's 400 years of being in, in that diverse uh, culture and, and being in a different culture. And it, I thought about it, but, you know, the more I think about it, why did they have to go there in the first place? Well, they, they went there because they had left God. They had followed adultery and, and they had followed after idols and they have turned away their back from, from God and have turned unto idols. And God said, I'm going to send you away. You can go and you can worship those idols over there all you want. That's over there. But he says, I'm going to keep a remnant. And I thought, boy, you know, the remnant came back and those that still wanted to worship all those false gods, you know, I don't think a lot of them would be calling themselves Jews. I don't know that a lot of them would be following circumcision. I mean, I just got through reading the Ezra and Nehemiah and my devotions, and even the problems that they had with the remnant that came back, they were only gone for 70 years, and yet they, when they came back, they, they had already they had profaned the, the priesthood and marrying outside of, outside of Israel, and their children were start already, some of the children were already starting to lose the language, and I thought, boy, you know, that's only 70 years, and that's those who came back. What about those who stayed? Certainly, the, the, all the more difficult it would have been for them to retain their culture, to retain the, their, 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 uh, their covenant there with, with uh, the circumcision. I thought, you know, if he was in Babylon, the Jews there probably wouldn't call themselves Jews by that point. So I thought probably is over here in in Assyria and Babylon. They're a lot closer to to Israel and to Jerusalem and those that returned. And so I thought, you know, if if it is here once again, then Marcus the evangelist is not too far out. It's not way out of the way for him to to be over there. It says Marcus, so does Marcus, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of charity. Why do we have take take time to to greet one another and to shake hands and be friendly with one another. Well, one, we want to really trust the fellowship. 
but also we want to greet one another. We also see here it says, Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. He wishes them peace. And certainly we want to have that peace. We see here on these verses that God has given us a call. Called it. Like an eternal boy by Christ Jesus. He desires to make us a new creation. That he can make us perfect and establish and strengthen and settle. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The question comes today to us. How are we answering that call? Are we answering that call or are we just saying, well, you know, I'm thankful that I'm saved and that I've been called, but, you know, I kind of got my own thing going here. I want to be doing my own thing. I want to follow my own way. Are we answering his call? Are we letting his Holy Spirit work in us to make us perfect and establish and strengthen us and settle us? Or are we resisting it, trying to retain our own nature, trying to retain the things that our flesh loves so much. We can't serve God and our flesh. We can't serve the Spirit and the flesh. They're at war with each other. They envy after each other. The question that comes today is, who are we going to let be Lord of our life? Will it be the Holy Spirit of God? Or will it be our own flesh?